Hello and welcome to today's edition of the FAS Cyprus podcast Beyond the Divide series. The topic of today's podcast is the social, economic and political impact of austerity politics in North Cyprus. My name is Hubert Faustmann. I am the director of the Office of the Ebert Foundation here in Nicosia. I have a distinguished guest at Sertaj Sonan. He's associate professor at the Cyprus International University in the north of the island, and together with his co-author, Ömer Götschikus, who's uh, teaching at the Seton Hall University in New Jersey, they wrote a report about austerity politics in the northern part of the island. A bit of background knowledge, um, the Republic of Cyprus, the south, which is where the Greek Cypriots are living, made the news in 2013 when banks went bankrupt and the state was on the verge of bankruptcy. And uh, the Troika, consisting of the International Monetary Fund and European Union institutions, uh, had to bail out the banks and the Republic of Cyprus. The price for that bailout were austerity politics that triggered um, a recession of two or three years, from which Cyprus has largely recovered, the Republic of Cyprus. What is less well known that in the north, the internationally not recognized Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus, where since um, a Greek coup and a Turkish invasion in 1974, uh, which resulted in the partition of the island, the Turkish Cypriots are living, austerity politics have been conducted even longer than in the South. Around 2011, the provider of finances in the North, Turkey, um, started imposing austerity politics on the Turkish Cypriot entity, and its impact is the topic of today's podcast. So very warm welcome, Sataj. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for the invitation. Um, your paper examines the impact of austerity politics in the north. Maybe for the for the for the listeners uh, to get an introductory knowledge, what is the exact meaning of austerity here? Well, um, I can share with you our uh, working definition of austerity, uh, which comes from uh, Mark uh, Blythe. It's a form of voluntary def- deflation, uh, deflation in which the economy adjusts through the reduction of wages prices and public spending to restore competitiveness, which is supposedly best achieved by cutting the state's budget, debts, and deficits. Doing so, its advocates believe, will inspire business confidence since the government will neither be crowding out the market for investment by sucking up all the available capital through the issuance of debt, nor adding to the nation's already too big uh, debt. This is the definition, our working definition in this paper. Um, Sometimes it is also referred to as uh, taming welfare state capitalism, but this is not really, this does not really apply to our case uh, because we don't really have a welfare state uh, here in the North. If you like, I can elaborate on that uh, later. But uh, basically, Austerity, in our case, meant cutting the state's budget and deficits. Why did the North start that austerity politics? Was it like in the South an impact of the economic and financial crisis, or were there other reasons behind this shift in policy? Indeed, there are uh, other reasons. Well, to say that uh, somehow Turkish Cypriots also were uh, affected from the uh, global recession, which started in 2007-8, uh, 
And uh, we had in 2009 and 10, if I'm not mistaken, uh, negative growth. Basically, the economy shrank. But this was due to our own dynamics rather than the recession. And uh, the idea of uh, implementing these policies, neoliberal policies, I would say, came from Turkey, actually, which, as you said at the beginning, uh, finances the the uh, the breakaway state of the TRNC, and to a certain extent, I mean, uh, we can say that uh, when you look at the macroeconomic figures, without uh, looking into the politics of it, you see that uh, there are uh, there there is a strange situation here. Uh, basically, the the government the government's uh, budget is gobbled up by pensioners and those working for the government, not only the, 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 the administration, uh, public administration, but also in the semi-public uh, institutions as well. Let me quote the figure at the beginning of, uh, of the austerity period. 36% of, in 2009, uh, 36 per, uh, percent of the government spending was going to the uh, personnel expenditures and 45% to transfers, which basically include uh, pensions and other social uh, security payments you make to the, um, to the needy. So over 80%. And to... Again, give you a rough idea, in OECD countries, the percentage of budget going to the personnel expenditures uh, changes between 5 and 15%. So what I'm trying to say is that there is a bloated public sector in the northern part of the island. And uh, this is not a, a, a healthy macroeconomic um, situation. But of course, to judge it uh, further, you have to look into the politics behind this. What made the public sector uh, so big? We will definitely talk about this and go deeper there. But uh, let's say the framework. When did the austerity program begin? And is it still running? In the South, the policies have ended. I can say that it is still running. Um, but the extent varies from government to government and uh, from you know uh, time to time it's been uh, it, it has started properly uh, back in 2011 2010 2011 so it's been all, almost uh, a decade but the idea of austerity uh, goes back in history of Turkish Cypriots, actually. Even in the 1970s, uh, everyone was uh, aware that there was something wrong with the, uh, with the, uh, with the budget, that there were, there were too many uh, people working uh, for the government. Uh, but of course, the, the, the need to, um, and we have to say that there is resistance. I mean, no government is implementing them, you know, 
hundred percent. Okay, we have to 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 say that because uh, needless to say, these are quite unpopular policies, and it creates uh, a huge backlash. Therefore, the governments try to implement these policies as little as possible. So they are walking a, a tightrope, actually. I mean, they have to um, satisfy the, the Turkish, uh, their Turkish counterparts, and they should not really enrage the, the public. So it's a, it's a sort of balancing act, basically. How does this balancing act look like in detail? I mean, what kind of austerity policies and measures were imposed on the Turkish separate community? As I said at the beginning, the, the reason behind these austerity policies is, uh, you know, the, the number of personnel, actually. Uh, so they wanted to make it less attractive for uh, people. And uh, for that reason, one thing, um, one policy that they used was um, the, the reformation of the pension system. So maybe at this point, I have to say uh, why a government job was uh, so popular in the, uh, in the northern part of Cyprus. Again, historical reasons aside, I can elaborate on them uh, in, uh, later, but um, we can say that the private sector doesn't really uh, provide, I mean, it's a, it's a de facto state which is isolated from the rest of the world. Therefore, private sector is not thriving to say the least. Therefore, they don't really offer good salaries and good working conditions. Whereas the government is uh, offering a decent salary and on top of that, probably more important, let's say a more laid back uh, working conditions. The package is better and part of this better package until this austerity policies was the pension system. The pension system was quite generous to the uh, public sector employees. So they started with the uh, pension system. Pension system now is more or less the same for both uh, public sector employees and private sector employees. So this is no longer an incentive for you. Okay? Before that, uh, the government was uh, contribu contributing very generously to the retirement pot of the, um, of the public sector employees. They started with that back in 2007 uh, or 2008. So now uh, conditions are more or less the same. Of course, this did not bring uh, too much resistance because uh, this is not something that, that is affecting uh, people now. They will affect the, 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 um, the reform in the uh, pension system, will affect people in 25, 30 year time. Second leg of the austerity measures uh, was uh, decreasing the entry level salaries of the public sector employees. And this was a more serious, this created more serious backlash because it had some uh, more immediate effects uh, on the people's lives. Right? Uh, because 
the entry-level salary of someone who started in 2011 was 33%, around 30 to 33% lower than someone who started in 2010. So the idea was, of course, I mean, it's, 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 uh, there are two intentions here. First, I mean, you directly cut the, uh, reduce the, the, the burden on the budget, the salary burden. And uh, you send the signal to the, uh, to the job seekers, you know, I mean, the, the public sector is no longer so much better than the private sector when it comes to salary, when it comes to pensions. Um, so this was the second leg uh, of the, of the uh, austerity measures. The third leg, and that had even more immediate impact on the uh, budget and on the on the uh, lives of the of the people uh, in 2011. And that's why I say, I mean, we can uh, the, the the first serious year of austerity was 2011. In the public sector, we have this cost of living adjustment, meaning if the inflation is 10, 15 percent you get this 10, 15% in your salary. Your salary is indexed basically. So, and this was done every two months initially. So you get your salary, your salary is 100. And there is a 2% or 5%, let's say, inflation in the first two months of the year. You get your third salary in March. Sorry, um, I think uh, end of February, your salary is 105 and it goes like that. So you are protecting, protected against the inflation. Your real income doesn't change. First, they said they changed this uh, indexing from two months to six months. And on top of that, that was the, the original deal. On top of that, they said, you know what? In 2011, there will be no indexing, no uh, adjustment, cost of living adjustment. And in that year, um, inflation was around 14%. So all of a sudden, you started with 100, and at the end of the year, you finish with uh, 85 in your pocket. And this applies to all public sector employees, pensioners, and those uh, getting social security benefits. So huge segment of the society basically got impoverished with one uh, policy, and I think, and and then actually, this had lasting effects, uh, as we show in the uh, in the report. It, this had lasting effects in the years to come on salaries and pension. How could things you, you alluded to it? How could things go so wrong in the north? I mean, how did the north end up with this huge civil servant? And a, and a payroll that was not sustainable by the state. You alluded to these isolation. Are there other reasons why this very distorted form of an yeah, economic model or way of living came mm -hmm. about? Well, uh, there are some historical and, and, and cultural reasons, actually. Uh, as you know, uh, Cyprus was a, uh, an Ottoman uh, territory uh, until 1878. And in the Ottoman Empire, there was this division of labor uh, within the, the population. And uh, as uh, Muslims, Turkish Cypriots, 
were part of the ruling uh, community. So there are uh, uh, this in this millet system, uh, the division was based on the religion of the group, and the Muslims were the superior group. So uh, they were dealing with they they were landowners, and those who were educated uh, formed the part of the public administration. Whereas uh, the non-Muslims uh, excelled in 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 uh, in commerce, etc. So this is uh, this public administration, this tendency to join public administration uh, is something that we inherited originally from the Ottoman Empire as well. And this continued in the British period for uh, some other reasons as well as the, the, the cultural reason. And then comes the isolation part. In the 19, mid-1950s, as you know, uh, the, uh, this is the time when the Cyprus conflict, as we understand it today, uh, started. The Greek Cypriots wanted to join Greece. Turkish Cypriots uh, saw this as their annihilation, so they resisted that. And part of the story was boycotting the Greek Cypriot products, etc. So, and of course, I mean, uh, Greek Cypriots, uh, they, they retaliated. So, in a way, we, we started isolating ourselves in the 1950s. So rather than uh, benefiting from the, the, the larger community, we ended up you know, turning inside and trying to uh, implement sort of autarkic policies. That's the starting point. But, uh, and back then, by the... the time that uh, the island uh, became independent, Turkish Cypriots were relatively poorer than Greek Cypriots, but the distance was not so big. Then came uh, 1963, when the uh, Republic of Cyprus, as it was established, uh, collapsed. Okay? I mean, that's a long story. I, don't, uh, I think we don't need to get into details of that. According to the Turkish Cypriot side, we were kicked out According to Greek Cypriots, Turkish Cypriots were secessionists and they walked out. Whatever the story, Turkish Cypriots between 1963 and the division 1974 ended up living in enclaves, uh, which covered only 3% of the, of the island, meaning everyone left their jobs. It is uh, um, explained in detail it is explained in detail in the, uh, in the report, and we quote actually uh, a brilliant scholar, uh, Navarro Yashin. Uh, she, she vividly explains it. Uh, in this period, people, the, the, uh, the Turkish Cypriot administration basically told people, live wherever you are, you are uh, and gather in the enclaves. The intention was uh, to, to create the ground for a geographical federation, geographical division. So they wanted the Turkish Cypriots to live together in enclaves. That meant they left their jobs, they left their livelihoods, and they became dependent on the, uh, on the state. So, well, I mean, not, not on the state, basically, on, on Turkey. Turkey financed these enclaves up to 90% of the uh, of the, uh, the budget of the Turkish Cypriot entities, political entities, 
were financed by Ankara. So people in this period started to get salary from the government, or as I said, from the Turkish uh, government. So this was a 10-year period. After 1968, uh, things were uh, relatively better. So some of them went back to uh, their livelihoods in the South. Some of them uh, in, the, in, the, in the Greek Cypriot uh, controlled areas. Some of them uh, started to work with Greek Cypriots, but um, essentially a big chunk of the uh, society lived off the uh, Turkish handouts. After 74, things have uh, changed. There was this geographical division, but uh, of course, Turkey's after living in two 20 years of uh, isolation, you, you cannot expect a, a, a community to you know, adapt to new conditions right away. So in the post-74 period to Turkish Cypriots relied on the, 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 the public administration. And I have to add this as well. This did not bother Ankara, actually, because imagine it's a huge country. Turkey is a huge country. And here we have uh, 100,000 people or so. And uh, it was not really a big burden for Turkey. And uh, Turkish Cypriot politicians were very successful in playing the Cold War and uh, Greek Cypriot cards, saying, you know what? I mean, if you don't send enough money to us, these people will become you know, less willing to uh, live in this uh, isolation. So don't let us suffer. And, uh, you know, and there was also within Turkish Cypriot society, there is this uh, you know, left-wing uh, people and uh, communist party. So, uh, of course, I mean, it was the, 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 the Communist Party of the time was not in a position to take over. But, you know, this was part of the scare tactics. Uh, so they were playing the, the card role, uh, as I said, send more money. Don't make us, uh, you know, uh, don't put us in a difficult situation because otherwise people will start supporting political parties which are in favor of reunification and even, you know, uh, um, communism. So uh, that's basically the, 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 the history of it. And as I said, uh, as we mentioned in the report, from time to time, there was some Turkish uh, politicians who wanted to, uh, who was bothered by this and uh, wanted to uh, impose austerity. And let me add something uh, as well. I think this is also relevant. Turkish Cypriots have always been relatively uh, more prosperous than the mainland uh, Turkey, people in the mainland Turkey. So imagine, I mean, your sponsor, you are richer than your own sponsor. So I think this was bothering uh, Turkish uh, politicians as well. And, and, and this was a relatively liberal society with links with the uh, rest of the world at a time when Turkey was uh, looking inside in the 1970s, early 1980s. So people were driving Mercedes, BMWs here, uh, whereas uh, Turkish people were uh, driving only, uh, you know, uh, domestic production, uh, Fiat's and Renault. So this was bothering, I would say, uh, Turkish uh, politicians as well. And they were saying, okay, I mean, this, this is not going to, 
uh, world like that. Let's have some, you know, austerity and let's uh, create a more private sector oriented um, economy. The, the good thing for Turkish Cypriots was that Turkey at that time was not in a very, was not a very stable uh, country politically. So governments were coming and going. And before they figure out what's going on in the northern part of Cyprus, even if they managed to impose some austerity after a few years, either they were gone because of the change of government or there was an election and uh, uh, late Mr. Denktash was uh, playing the card of uh, Cyprus problem card and convincing them to ease the, uh, the austerity. So the one started by uh, Özal in 1986, 87 period, ended with the election of 1990, when just before the election, everyone uh, on the payroll of the public, uh, of, the, of the Ministry of Finance uh, were paid double salaries or double pensions. Uh, and the, it, it continued like that in the 1980s as well until AK Party, AKP or uh, Mr. Erdogan came to power. They were different from the rest of the Turkish, um, Turkish political parties in uh, two senses. First, they didn't have this nationalistic uh, idea of solution of the Cyprus problem, because according to nationalists, the Cyprus problem was solved in 1974. So uh, now there is peace in, the, in, in, in Cyprus, there is nothing to, to do. Okay? Therefore, maintaining the system is an end itself. So, uh, and if you think that way, you have to support the politicians who are in favor of the maintenance of the uh, status quo. AKP was not like that. AKP was in favor of reunification because particularly in 2002, when they came to power, 2003, four, they had this uh, uh, vision of joining the EU to get the candidacy, sorry, to, to start the accession negotiations. They had to be, uh, they had to look constructive in, uh, in the solution of the Cyprus problem. So they didn't have to, you know, uh, pick a site and uh, say, all right, we have to keep these guys in power. So we have to keep uh, giving them money. That's one part of the story. Second part of the story, they uh, stayed long enough. So we have uninterrupted AKP uh, government since 2002. So they figured out what was going on in the northern part of the island, and they were in a position to impose austerity in a relatively more uh, determined fashion. So it was no longer a change of government and change of course in, uh, in Cyprus. So that's why we are having this, uh, for the last uh, decade, we are having this uh, uh, austerity almost Nonstop. To what extent does clientelism play a role? I know this about the South, clientelism meaning that politicians do favors, give jobs to their supporters in the civil servant in exchange for their vote. 
uh, is one reason why in many Mediterranean countries, Greece is another example, but I think it's also true for Turkey, you get hugely inflated public services with payrolls that threaten state finances. I know that's the case also in the South, within the Greek separate community. To what extent did that contribute to the situation in the North? In that respect, uh, Turkish Cypriots are typical uh, Southern Europeans. And I would say, for, uh, because of the size of the society and because of the sponsorship of Turkey, uh, clientelism, political clientelism in the North, I would say is worse than po political clientelism in the South and uh, everywhere else in, in, in Southern Europe. Starting with the, um, it was always like that, uh, but particularly with the introduction of the competitive elections. We had the first multi-party elections in 76. And uh, in 1981, for instance, the, um, in the run-up to the election, almost 4,000 jobs were distributed. And I, imagine, I mean, we are talking about a, a very small society. How big? Do you have a number? I mean, to give our listeners an idea what we are talking at, about. At that time, I mean, uh, most probably the population was not uh, about 100,000. So you're distributing 4,000 jobs, meaning you basically, uh, when you um, consider their families, etc., you are buying a, a significant segment of the society. And it went like that in every election. So uh, what we call, I mean, sometimes this is uh, called patronage, I mean, uh, directly, um, or bureaucratic clientelism, basically, employing people in the, uh, in the public sector at the time of the election. Uh, so to, to answer your question uh, in one line, that this really played a huge role in bloating the public sector. We are here, we are, uh, where we are because of uh, political clientelism. I can clearly uh, say that. Were there other austerity policies implemented that were, for example, not just targeting the, the payroll of the public service? Was, was the general public also directly affected by these austerity politics? Privatization was part of the, uh, the story. Uh, some public assets were uh, privatized. Uh, the operation of the airport for instance, also, uh, which was bought by a Turkish company, a consortium actually led by uh, two Turkish companies. And there is a Turkish Cypriot company as well, which is uh, the, the minority uh, shareholder. And also the um, public uh, oil company was uh, privatized in this period. That was bought by uh, two by a consortium uh, made up of two Turkish Cypriot uh, companies. So it's not like, because often the impression is in the South that whenever there's privatization, it's Turkification in the sense that, that only Turkish companies take, take over these semi-governmental uh, organizations. So that's a wrong impression, right? Well, you can say that when you look at the case of the um, public oil company, I mean, it was bought by, uh, as I said, Turkish Cypriot um, entrepreneurs. Uh, but overall, that's, that's the concern in the North as well, actually. And uh, the, the experience of the airport shows us 
also, we, as I said, it was bought by a, a big uh, Turkish company. There are two problems here. Because of the isolation, because we are not part of the, uh, the international community, we cannot make sure that we have a, a competitive process where we'll get the highest price possible. So it is most probably, I mean, uh, um, so that's one, one concern. And, and this leaves the market to, uh, to Turkish companies. And uh, because of their size, it's really difficult for Turkish Cypriot companies to compete with them. And uh, at the end, that's the, 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 the problem with our uh, privatization, or let me put it this way, the, the problem we have as the Turkish Cypriot uh, authorities with Turkish companies is the asymmetrical relationship. Because imagine, I mean, you are the, the prime minister of, uh, of the TRNC, the guy sitting next to you has a turnover larger than your GDP, for instance. You don't have any bargaining power. And uh, that's the relationship with the, we have a, a private electricity. Um, there is this private uh, power plant and uh, you don't have any leverage over them because they're too big for you to, to deal with. So the concern is we are going to have the same problems if we have uh, the electricity authority privatized, or if we have the telecom authority privatized, or if we have the, the ports privatized. So you cannot really effectively uh, regulate the sector as the government, because you are too small, these companies are very big, and on top of that, they are protected by the Turkish government. So. That's why uh, privatization actually is very tricky, although it doesn't necessarily mean uh, Turkification. But, but international companies have no chance, if I understand this correctly, right? It's either Turkish or Turkish separate companies that will- Exactly. Uh, I don't think that uh, because of the political circumstances here, I don't think uh, international companies are willing to uh, invest in the, in the Northern part of Cyprus you can run into many problems as a foreign uh, company here. I mean, so including what, uh, political pressure uh, coming from the South and uh, Greece. Well, what you say points at a, at a rather increasing dependency of the North to Turkey through this austerity politics. Is this, a, is this a correct assumption or what do you think is the impact of these austerity politics on the economic and political ties? Economically speaking, it's quite the contrary, actually. When you look at the figures, you see that dependence on Turkey is going down. And uh, actually, uh, let me quote uh, from, the, from the report. At some point uh, in 2017, this is the latest figure we have, total domestic revenues accounted for 83% of the uh, expenditures. At the beginning, this was only 61%. So there is an improvement in economic terms. So we are on the way to becoming almost uh, self-sufficient. But of course, 
our problem is we, are, we still depend on Turkey for infrastructure investments. And uh, needless to say, for defense, of course. I mean, uh, Turkey is, is uh, covering uh, that as well. And probably uh, also because of that, this decreasing financial dependence does not uh, translate into uh, increasing political uh, autonomy. So um, I don't, I, I cannot say that compared to 2009, 2010, we are more uh, politically, we are more autonomous, uh, independent from Turkey. But I, as I said, I mean, it's a, uh, it's part of a bigger uh, discussion. If you look at the, the social impact of those austerity politics, usually it's it's the poorer segments of a society mm -hmm. that suffer most if austerity politics are implemented. Is this also true for the society in the north, given that they were mainly targeted at the better earning segment of the society in the mm -hmm. civil service? Mm -hmm. um, we can uh, we have to say that uh, I think poorer segments of the society were hit harder because. Uh, this uh, freezing of the salaries and pensions and uh, social benefits in 2011 affected everyone. So um, if your income is 10,000, it went down to 8,500. But if your uh, income is you know, 2,000, uh, it, it went, went down uh, further actually. I mean, uh, of course, in, in percentage terms, it's the same, but it uh, hurts you more if you are in, in, a, in a lower segment of the society. So that's one part of the story. But on the other, when we look at the figures uh, of uh, income equality and inequality, we cannot see uh, a huge difference actually. I mean, normally our expectation at the beginning was to see a big distortion in the uh, income inequality. This didn't happen. The, there is, it, it, it worsened, but it uh, only slightly uh, worsened, um, I would say. Um, the real effect can be seen on particularly healthcare expenditures. Um, we can see that the public spending on healthcare, public healthcare went down in this period. And this is uh, also where it hurts the ordinary people, I would say. Uh, remember at the beginning of the, of the podcast, I said uh, public spending on uh, personnel exp expenditures is huge compared to uh, other OECD countries. When we look at the uh, healthcare spending, we see that uh, the amount we are spending on healthcare is half of the OECD average, according to one of the uh, medical doctors that we interviewed. So I think uh, this is the, the, of course, I mean, we, we didn't cover it, but also public education and, uh, and healthcare, these are the two, um, two spots where ordinary citizens were, were hit hardest, I would say. So if you judge this, what's what the overall impact of this austerity program on society and maybe also on the political elite? 
whose, whose means of distributing favors were probably affected. When we look at the figures, I mean, it, it, it's really strange, actually. I mean, we can clearly say that uh, an Irish Turkish Cypriot got impoverished, I would say. And this you can see even in the uh, indicators that we share in the, in the report. The GDP per capita uh, in 2017, GMP per capita, let me correct, is below its level in uh, 2010, for instance. And when you look at the GMP, the same applies to the GMP. So overall, the economy got stuck at where it is in 2010. There is, you know, some kind of restructuring within the economy. And this is to a large extent, uh, thanks to uh, the rise in net tourism revenues and uh, net higher education revenues. So uh, these two, um, two items uh, helped to offset the contractionary effect of uh, decreasing money coming from Turkey. But overall, as I said, the economy, I cannot say that it's in a better shape at the moment, overall. And on top of that, let me add this as well. I think this is also one of the important findings of our report. Um, household debt went up because people didn't want to change. I mean, uh, the people who were affected by austerity, they didn't want to change their uh, consumption patterns. So what did they do? They started borrowing. So the figures clearly show that uh, average Turkish Cypriot, beca Cypriot became more uh, indebted uh, during this uh, period. So that's another uh, downside of the austerity measures, I would say. And uh, lastly, the, the last, to answer the last point, uh, the last part of your question about uh, political impact. Well, I think political impact is also huge because the thing is, uh, governments, as I said at the beginning, they, they are walking this tightrope and, uh, and they are, um, you know, um, between, as the saying goes, a rock and the hard place. Okay? So they promise people prosperity, that they're going to bring an end to the austerity, blah, blah, blah. And they end up doing exactly the same thing as the previous government. So people are, uh, are, are losing their trust in politicians in, and in our political system in general. Uh, in, this, in this period, no government lasted more than you know, one, two years or no, uh, well, I mean, in, in, 2000, uh, in 2010, nine, uh, the UBP came to power promising not to uh, introduce austerity measures. They introduced in austerity measures and they, you know, uh, did it uh, at least for a period of time uh, very seriously. But then even the prime minister himself uh, ended up not being uh, elected. Okay? They couldn't finish the term. They had to, you know, the party split. Of course, there are other reasons as well. But because Irsen Küçük, the late uh, prime minister, was seen too eager to implement austerity to satisfy Turkish politicians, 
uh, or dictates coming from uh, Turkey. I mean, uh, he was uh, basically punished by the electorate and he lost his seat in the parliament. This never happened before. I mean, uh, uh, entering the election as the prime minister and ending up with uh, as being, uh, you know, uh, an ordinary civilian never happened before. So politicians are uh, paying the price and we see that turnout is going down constantly. People are not uh, uh, voting in the elections or those who are going, they are, um, you know, casting their votes uh, invalid. And um, one more thing we saw in the uh, last uh, election, two uh, startup parties. And this is actually similar to the pattern in the rest of Southern Europe. Uh, people uh, in general are losing their trust, confidence in the mainstream politicians, and they are helping, uh, they are voting, either they're not voting at all, or voting for, you know, sort of anti-establishment uh, political parties, anti-establishment, sometimes populist uh, startups. And this is uh, what happened in 2018 election in North Cyprus as well. And for the first time, we had uh, uh, six parties in the parliament. So it led to a fragmentation. And because of that, uh, we had, uh, for the first time in our history, a four-party uh, governing coalition. But as I said, uh, these go governing coalitions, uh, they don't last because uh, they promise something and they, they cannot deliver and uh, they end up, you know, uh, resigning. And as we speak, uh, since 2008, um, we are in 2020, this is our third government. Uh, now the, the third government is going to get the vote of confidence in a couple of days. Now its program is uh, being read out. It's, uh, it's a patchwork of a government. There are three parties in the government plus three uh, MPs who resigned from another party. So effectively it's a four party uh, coalition. And uh, I'm afraid if it goes something, uh, if it goes like this, things will get uh, even worse in the Northern part of Cyprus politically. Did, did they also promise an end of austerity politics with a predictable unsuccessful outcome or this is different? <laughs> is that you know, I think uh, they gave up. They gave up. They gave up on that. I mean, their stance is now. Of course, I mean, they don't say that loudly. They they don't say this publicly. But well, actually, some MPs even say that publicly when there is discussion. I mean, which government should we form? Which coalition should run? Uh, there are uh, MPs saying that you know what the government should be formed by political parties which will bring money from Turkey. So we, we, we went back to 1990s. This was the line, actually. Um, former Prime Minister uh, Dervis Eroğlu, which helped their former Prime Minister Dervis Eroğlu to, to win, I don't know how many elections. He was saying basically that, you know what? I mean, if you want more money from Turkey, you have to uh, elect us because we have better relations with the Turks. So the same applies now. How do things look through the eyes of Greek Cypriots? I mean, living in the South, 
and knowing that Greek Cypriots don't really know too much about the details of the society mm -hmm. in the north. But if they understand that the north has an economic, a societal model based on an unsustainable model, in a sense, that should there ever be a reunification of the island, that they need heavy subsidies from the south even to sustain the structures in the north. Is that how do they see this austerity politics? Austerity politics are usually popular, but mm -hmm. I'm just thinking aloud that some Greek Cypriots might, those in favor of reunification and saying we want to limit the expense after reunification, the transfer payments to the north, there might be, cynically speaking, a positive side effect in this in this um, more viable tra this transformation in a in a in a suffering but economically more viable entity. No, you, you are right. As I said, I mean, uh, compared to ten years. Uh, 10 years ago, or 2010, we are in a better shape when it comes to covering the, um, the expenses of the, sorry, public expenses. And of course, there is a caveat here that we need to take into consideration. I would say austerity doesn't really work under our circumstances, under the circumstances of being a de facto state disconnected from the rest of the, the world. Because you cannot really have a private uh, sector, I mean, thriving private sector. And even under these circumstances, we are, as I uh, quoted before, we are doing very well when it comes to tourism and higher education revenues. Imagine what will happen to these sectors uh, after reunification, when you know, uh, they become part of the international community, when uh, direct uh, flights start, and when we issue at the universities of the North Cyprus, diplomas recognized, okay, even now they are recognized by everyone, but uh, once we become part of the international community, these will be diplomas issued by European Union universities. So um, I think that's the bright side of the, of the whole, the brightest side, uh, brightest, side of the whole story. This is helping us to, uh, to finance ourselves. And if we become part of the international community uh, after reunification, of course, in after a transition period of five, 10 years, I think we can stand on our feet and we won't be uh, a burden for the federal uh, state. And in other words, on the Greek Cypriot society. What about if no reunification comes about and the North remains unrecognized and in the situation it's in? Is, is there any chance that this austerity politics will succeed, cynically speaking, in producing at least a sustainable economic structure? So is, is without recognition, without contacts with the international community, this policy, has this any chance of succeeding in inverted commas, and then would, of course, to de define what success is mm -hmm. in such terms. Yeah, I mean, yes. having a, a balanced budget is, is maybe a success, but the, the social price might be immense. Exactly. As, as, you, as you said, uh, there is a price. I mean, uh, we have this, uh, you know, relative success when it comes to, um, to financing our own expenditures, but it, that's, that came at a cost on the uh, healthcare system, and also uh, it came with so-called financialization or growing household uh, debt. I don't, I, I don't see uh, a thriving economy under these uh, circumstances. I think 
we are at the limits of, of our model, model of uh, relying on foreign students and, and, and tourism. Because the, the problem is, I think I have to add this as well. Tourism revenues are, are uh, going up, education revenues are going up, but these are not uh, creating white collar jobs that an average Turkish Cypriot uh, graduate is willing to have. That's the problem. In this period, let me quote also the number of uh, foreigners employed with a work permit. In 2010, we had 30,000 uh, workers, foreigners. In 2017, we had almost 45,000. Out of a workforce, what's the size, roughly, to give us an idea? Uh, um, workforce, it, goes, uh, it, it grows with the, uh, with the foreigners, I think. Don't quote me on this, but one third, minimum one third of the uh, working population is made up of foreigners. And foreigners are basically low paid, coming for low paid jobs. So this is driving the economy. The economy is creating, it's a service sector based economy, but it's creating low paid jobs. And uh, almost all Turkish Cypriots go for university education. So they end up either um, immigrating or staying in the country, the, the best and brightest, uh, stay in the country where they study, or the ones uh, studying here, they emigrate or they are underemployed. So that's another problem in the, in the system. So it's not creating the, the sectors that are driving the economy are not creating too much uh, employment. Uh, a majority of people working in the tourism sector are foreigners. So basically, of course, I mean, ideologically, that's my uh, stance as well. Unless we become part of the international community, we are doomed uh, as, the, as the society. Even, even if uh, austerity comes to an end, we'll be in, in, in trouble. I mean, it's, it's an artificial bubble that we are living in. Uh, and it's, uh, it will eventually uh, burst, and I'm afraid. On that depressing note, before, before we wrap up, so what's, what's, your, what's your role assessment of this austerity politics? What are the successes? What are the failures? Is it a success story? Did it change anything to the better? Did it change things to the worse? What's, what would be your balanced assessment of this politics? Well, as I said, the, 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 the brightest uh, thing in this uh, story, no matter what, I think this shows us that Turkish Cypriot community can uh, stand on its feet. We are not there yet, but I would say we are almost there. So that's the, 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 uh, the silver lining here. But of course, I mean, uh, this, this, is, uh, this is possible in the context of reunification, as I said, in the context of... Uh, being part of the reuniting with the international community. And unfortunately, that's not in sight. So um, it's more like, I mean, of course, downside of the, the whole story is impoverishment. And uh, we are likely to have more of that in the, in the near future, unless of course, I mean, things take a different turn in the in the negotiations about the Cyprus problem, so our 
real problem is um, politics. Well, we're in the in the pre-Christmas period, and I think here yeah, listening to you, it probably takes a miracle to turn things into something better. Listening to to the rather bleak outlook of the prospects, and given the the rather dire situation of the of the Cyprus talks. Thank you so much, Sertac. That was the most interesting conversation about a report written by Sertac Sonan and Ömer Gotschikos uh, entitled The Social, Economic and Political Impact of Austerity Policies in North Cyprus. You can find that report on our website, fascyprus.org. If you like that podcast, and I hope you did, there's more, there are more podcasts on Cyprus within our series, FAS Cyprus podcast, Beyond the Divide. And you find us on all major podcast providers. So please start looking for us, start listening to us. And I hope you tune in for the next podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Sarah Touch, again. Goodbye. Thank you, Hubert. Bye-bye.